Welcome to Archway's Western Civilization History Podcast for Families. In our podcast, we look for the best of the West and discuss the stories, events, themes, and people that made the West different than the rest. Previously, I finished my two-part episode on Judeo-Christian origins of Western civilization. I talked about Judaism's beginnings, we discussed Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and King David, and the Jewish ideas on reason and government that impacted Western civilization. I also talked about Christianity, how it went from a small group of less than a hundred Jews in Judea, and in three centuries became the dominant faith of the continent-spanning Roman Empire. I discussed how Christianity's ideas of caring for the poor and going to all the world spreading the faith had their impact on Western civilization. This week's episode is a special holiday episode for Thanksgiving. Now, what's everyone's favorite part about Thanksgiving? That's right, I know you all said the turkey. Now, here is a little known fact. I've been informed that the turkey, in addition to being a beautiful country, is also a delicious food made of bird. Today, I've been told to clarify that we will not be talking about the bird on the podcast. We will indeed be talking about the country. Particularly, we are going to talk about seven of the many fabulous ancient cities in Turkey and how they impacted Western civilization. So I want you to think of today's episode as a sort of guided tour, if you will, and think of me as your intrepid tour guide. Before we can land at our first stop, you're going to need to know a few things about Turkey. Turkey is important to the ancient world for a lot of reasons. One of these reasons is that it bridges the gap, quite literally, between the Middle East and Europe. It is located on a peninsula known as Asia Minor. Anciently, the Greeks called this land Anatolia. It is a fertile, coastal land full of forests, hills, valleys, and mountains. And for the most part, Turkey enjoys that famous Mediterranean climate. Because of its easy access to two continents, as well as three seas, the Mediterranean, Aegean, and Black Seas, and because of its proximity to Mesopotamia and that fertile crescent, parts of Turkey have been key holdings in many of the most important and influential Western and Eastern empires. As a result, Turkey has a ton of ancient sites, stories, and antiquities essential for understanding Western civilization. This will become very apparent to you as we begin our guided tour to some of Turkey's coolest ancient cities. Alright, we are here at stop number one, here in southeastern Turkey near the border of Syria. This is Urfa. Urfa is home to what's thought to be the world's oldest temple, Gobliki Tepe, which was built in 10,000 BC. That's 7,000 years older than Stonehenge. You can see its ruins today. It was just in the 1990s when they started excavating it, and only recently did we understand its significance. It's a temple as old as the agricultural revolution and older than pottery. In 2018, it was designated as a World Heritage Site. (music) 
Okay, we've arrived at our next stop. We're here at the opposite end of the country on the northwestern tip of Turkey. We are in sunny Istanbul. Today, Istanbul is the most populous city of Europe with over 15 million residents. Anciently, things weren't very much different, other than the name, of course. Yes, that's right. Istanbul was once Constantinople. Why'd they change the name? Well, you know, there's a song about that. And you know, it wasn't the first time. Constantine named this city after himself. Before then, it was called Byzantium. Whatever you want to call it, there's no denying Constantinople was one of the most important cities of the ancient world. It stood on a strategically ideal spot, the Bosphorus Strait. This slice of land acted as a bridge between Europe and Asia, and it also separated the Black Sea and the Mediterranean Sea allowing its occupants to control sea traffic between the two. In 330 AD, Constantine made it the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. It was already a massive cultural, economic, and political hub of the Roman Empire, and it was also a pillar of strength for the Christian Church. For 1,100 years during the Roman and Byzantine eras, it was besieged on average every 50 years for a total of 34 times. Hardly any times were these sieges successful. Of the 24 sieges that took place under Byzantine rule, only three to five were successful. There are many reasons for this. For one thing, Constantinople had walls 40 feet high and 20 feet thick, with 96 towers spanning a length of 3.4 miles. It also had a huge iron chain half a mile long that they would raise over the harbor to prevent ship traffic from coming through. They also possessed a superweapon, Greek fire. This ancient napalm was catastrophic to ships and could even burn when in water. The fire was a state secret so secret that no one knew the entire recipe. Finally, the city had 200 cisterns storing water for its 500,000 citizens. These cisterns had a combined capacity of 35.3 million cubic feet of water. For Sultan Mehmed II to conquer Constantinople at the age of 21, he needed between 80,000 and 200,000 troops. He also had 70 large field artillery pieces, giant cannons, and a navy of 320 vessels. At first, for the first few weeks, the walls and iron chain proved impregnable. Mehmed II literally had to extract his lighter ships out of the water, have them carried over land, and then plopped back into the water on the other side of the city. This then stretched the lines of the defending Byzantines, and they eventually capitulated after 57 days. All right, now that's enough about Constantinople. Let's keep moving to our next stop. Our third stop today is on the central west coast of Turkey, a city founded by Hercules' son, It's Sardis. Sardis was the capital of the ancient, prosperous kingdom of Lydia. It was the first place to have minted coins after developing them in the 600s BC. 
Before this, people just traded metals in the form of jewelry or other metallic objects. Minted coins had a lot of advantages over these objects since they were much smaller, they had standardized weights, and they had inscriptions telling of their origins and value. The mints in Lydia created coins out of gold, silver, and electrum. Minted coins quickly became fixtures of Greek and Roman cities, and their legacy has endured up to the modern day. Going north of Sardis a little bit, we are arriving at the beautiful mountainous city of Pergamum. Pergamum was where parchment paper was invented. The word for parchment actually comes from the city's name. Anciently, parchment was made out of animal skins as opposed to papyrus, which was made out of reeds. Parchment became a huge boon for commerce, education, and communication throughout the ancient world, and it meant big business for Pergamum. Pergamum soon became one of the most influential cities of the ancient world and one of the most learned. It had the second largest library of the ancient world, second only to Alexandria. Now, parchment in that day was folded up into rectangles and written on as you would use a notebook today. At first, parchment was only used by working class people, merchants and craftsmen, as they kept notes of trades and transactions. The educated still preferred their dusty old papyrus scrolls. However, over time, parchment proved to be so convenient that eventually the scholarly elites like Cicero would even use it. It also helped that the entire New Testament would end up being written on parchment. These parchments would eventually evolve into codices, which would then in turn evolve into the book format that we know and love today. By the 4th century AD, parchment books had completely replaced scrolls. To the northeast of Pergamum is that beautiful city on a lake, Isnik, anciently known as Nicaea. Nicaea was a very special city. It is described by some Catholics as the third holy city after Jerusalem and the Vatican. It was a prosperous city since Roman times thanks to its fertile land and beautiful lake. Nicaea was only 43 miles away from Constantinople and was used as a retreat by the ancient Byzantine leaders. They held two of the ecumenical councils there. An ecumenical council is a meeting of church representatives to settle religious disputes. There were seven of these. The first and last of these councils were held in Nicaea in 325 AD and 787 AD, respectively. The first one was obviously a huge deal. Constantine had only recently become both the emperor of this area and a Christian. Before he took control of the empire, Christians were a reviled and persecuted lot, and it showed. These bishops who spent their lives preaching to the poor about the humble carpenter from Nazareth were now totally awestruck that they were suddenly advisors to the wealthiest and most powerful man in the world. A witness of the council wrote how the assembled bishops looked like an army of martyrs, for many of them still bore the scars from prior Roman persecutions. Many were missing their right eyes. Others were missing their right arms. One bishop, named Paul, had both hands maimed and paralyzed 
from being exposed to a red-hot iron. In this council, it was voted 316 to 2 that a very popular notion popularized by a priest from Alexandria named Arius that, quote, Jesus Christ was a created creature above humans but below God, close quote, they confirmed that this was indeed a heretical teaching. This council declared, We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, that is of the substance of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Unfortunately for these scarred and persecuted bishops, this did not end the issue and actually ushered in a new era of Roman persecution. Arius's faction, called the Arians, were very powerful and well-connected, especially in these capital lands of the empire. They soon gained the ear of the emperor, and they gained the court's favor. And they also gained the favor of the next two emperors. And so, for the next five decades, despite losing the debate at Nicaea, the Arians sought to undermine the council's decisions and to go after the biggest proponents of the Nicene Creed. Many bishops were repeatedly summoned to meetings where they'd be forced to sign the Arian creeds. They were often held under house arrest. They were bullied, they were threatened, and some were even banished. Nevertheless, a few brave bishops like Athanasius of Alexandria stood up for the Nicene Creed and continued to encourage the Christians through letters as a fugitive. As a result, Nicene Christianity became the dominant belief in Alexandria and in Rome. After five decades of persecution, the last of the Arian empires died, and in 381, the new emperor, Theodosius, decided to hold a second ecumenical council in Constantinople to get the eastern bishops of the capital lands on the same page. This second ecumenical council confirmed the Nicene Creed once and for all and added additional statements to it, clarifying the role and nature of other members of the Trinity. Going back down to the central west coast, we now go to Ephesus, this port city of white marble. Regrettably, it was destroyed by earthquakes in medieval times, and no one got around to rebuilding it because by that time the sea had receded so far it was no longer even close to being a port city. But during Ephesus's heyday under Roman rule, it was a booming sea hub with hundreds of thousands of residents. It even had the largest theater of the ancient world, seating 24,000 persons. It had one of the world's finest libraries, and the third largest, the Library of Celsus, home to 12,000 priceless scrolls. It was also home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis. With the advent of Christianity, Ephesus continued to be a very important city. Paul lived there for three years and wrote several epistles while there. Paul loved Ephesus dearly, but was kicked out by angry silversmiths who were upset that people didn't want to buy silver Artemis statues after Paul had taught them Christianity. The hundreds of plotters they gathered in that theater, and they planned an assassination attempt against Paul, 
and Paul was forced to flee, never to return. Paul had the last laugh, though. By the 500s, it was one of the most Christian cities in the world. The Byzantines believed that John the Beloved took Mary, the mother of Jesus, up to retire in Ephesus at the end of the first century. And so the Byzantines erected beautiful churches to honor these figures. It was in the Church of Mary where the Third Ecumenical Council was held. All right, we are arriving at our last stop, the seventh city of our tour today, and it is beautiful Troas. Troas is a coastal city on the northern tip of Turkey's west coast. In the first century, it was a waypoint in a great trade route connecting Neapolis in Macedonia to Rome, and as such, it became a bustling seaport town. My favorite story about Troas takes place in the New Testament. It is when the Apostle Paul is giving a very long sermon in a very hot and humid room on the third floor of a building. He gives his sermon late into the night. At about midnight, Eutychus, he falls asleep. He falls out the window, falls onto the ground. He perishes. This finally gets Paul to end his sermon. Paul runs down the stairs or the ladder or whatever it was. He brings Eutychus back to life, and it is a beautiful miracle, and it is also a hilarious story, and the writer of the book of Acts gets back at Paul just a little bit, teasing him about how long-winded he is. Now, even though this is my favorite story about Troas, there is a much more important and famous story about it, you may have heard it. Homer wrote about it in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Since antiquity, Troas has been assumed to be around the site of ancient Troy, the famed city which fell to the Greeks after the Trojan War due to them letting in the Trojan horse. And sure enough, the ancient ruins of Troy have been found just 12 miles north of the ruins of Troas. One day we will do a full episode on the Trojan War, but for now, suffice to say, Troy was very important to Western civilization, and this epic that Homer wrote, it has permeated through all of our literature and history. The Persian Emperor Xerxes and even the great general Alexander the Great both made stops in Troy to pay homage to that great city as they both had been inspired by its stories and legendary heroes. When the Romans grew to prominence, they claimed that the ancestors of the founders of Rome were none other than Aeneas, one of Troy's heroes. And that concludes my tour of seven ancient cities in Turkey. There is a lot more there to check out though, and I recommend going with your eyes and not just your ears next time. Personally, it has been one of my favorite places to visit in my life. If you get the chance, I can't recommend it enough, and it has all kinds of cool history beyond antiquity, from the Crusades to the Mongols to the Sultans to World War I and beyond. To learn more about Turkey and what I talked about today, check out my sources allabouttturkey.com, historyofyesterday.com, and americanmagazine.org, the real story of the Council of Nicaea. Thank you very much for listening. Catch you next time. <laughs>